Welp, it's another day with Wake Up With Casey, and today I'm going to talk about an interesting topic, and it's just so out of the ordinary for me, but I just feel like it's, you know, to me it's like necessary for you all to understand, you know, the podcasting industry and, you know, creating one, you know, what it's really like to be a podcaster, and today I get to talk to another podcaster. Please welcome Brian Parkerson. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, let me ask you so the audience can understand you and, you know, what it is that you do. You are a podcaster as well. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what inspired you to start your podcast and what is your podcast about? Um, so... I I'd like to answer with a little bit of humor. It's actually getting older that inspired me to do a podcast. I, I'd always wanted to do one. Um, but as I've, as I inch closer to 40, I hit this, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to call, I can't call it a midlife crisis because that would mean I've lived half my life. But I, I hit this, this period of like, I, I have an established career that I've been in for a number of years and I've just suddenly become very dissatisfied with it and realize it's not what I want to do with my life. And that's tough to do in your late thirties. Um, but that's where I'm at. And I began this journey of introspection and just trying to figure out what it is I want to do with my life. And, um, one of the things I knew I had wanted to do was start a podcast, but I just never had an idea. And what's, what's interesting is um, back in the 90s, there was a show on TNT called Monster Vision. And for those of you who don't know about Monster Vision, it was hosted by a guy named Joe Bob Briggs. Joe Bob Briggs is actually, his real name is John Bloom. Joe, Joe Bob Briggs is the character. And um, I had completely forgotten about this show. And I've kind of hit this nostalgia phase where I'm at in my life right now. And I, and I randomly ran across Monster Vision clips on YouTube. And, and I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about this show. So I started watching just everything I could with Joe Bob in it. Well, come to find out, John is on Cameo. So I, start, I reached out to him on Cameo. I paid to send him a message and responded. He's very kind. And so I exchanged some messages with him over, a, a, a period, I want to say a period of days. I can't remember completely, but... Um, I found myself wanting to ask him questions about who he was as a person and not just about the show and, and things like that. And it, I was sitting at work on a Friday and it dawned on me. That's my show. That's my podcast. What if I interview, cause I'm a big horror fan. So I'm like, what if I interview actors, authors, and directors in horror, but instead of focusing purely on their careers and what they're doing, what if I focused on who they are as human beings? And that's the difference. That's, that's the difference I want to have in the, the, um, the interview style I have. So I bounced the idea off of a, a, a an author that I know. Um, well, I say I know he's a Twitter friend. Um, he's, but he's a well-known horror author and he, he liked the idea and he encouraged me to pursue it. And he got me in touch with a person who's become a good friend of mine, Matt Will Dawson, who also is a podcaster, um, who he'd be a great interview, by the way. Now I think about it, Kim, I'll have to talk to you about Matt because Matt has a show called Grindcast. And Matt helped me, you know, I, I knew nothing about how to run a podcast. You know, I just knew I needed a microphone and that was it, you know, so he helped me get all the stuff I needed to get, um, gave me the, you know, the ideas, you know, so you could, there's these hosting platforms and, and then this, you know, that was October. And then by December I was ready to go. And I had my first guest booked who's a guy named Harrison Smith, um, who's a horror director 
And and it's just it's been history since then. I, and we're coming up on uh, it'll be a year in December. And I've got I, I'm actually backlogged really bad right now. I've got probably 40 hours of editing to do to, to try to get caught up. I mean, because I just had such an influx of guests on the show that I'm just really, really backlogged right now. <laughs> Wow. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. See, I don't do any editing. This is like pre-recorded live. Once I'm done, I air it at a later date and it goes up. So That's I'm really quite raw and real. I There's no, the only thing I do edit is like my openers. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the only thing like now that I found my opener, like that's my opener. Like everyone's going to see that. They're going to repeatedly see that because I was tweaking like, how do I make this look better to where it, it's like, it fits, mm -hmm. you know, it's a trial and error. I love the intro and it's, and part of it is, I mean, some of these episodes were early episodes and my philosophy has changed a little bit. So I interviewed a guy named Paul Loudon, um, who, who's become a friend and uh, Paul's a comedian. And he said something during our interview that struck me and it actually changed my philosophy on how, how I do this. Um, he said that one of the things he likes about podcasting is how real it is. You know, there's bathroom breaks. It's people in their natural environments. It's just real. It's not this staged interview. And that got me thinking, and I agreed with him on his episode. I'm not editing it at all. I'm, I'm just pushing it out raw. And I, and, and that really stuck with me. I decided from here on out, I'm not going to, I'm not going to edit heavily. Well, I say that I don't censor my guests, but sometimes people say things that are a little off the wall or they're, you know, you're like, uh, they probably, if they could go back and listen to this, they probably would wish they hadn't said that. So I'm going to cut that out. But for the most part, I don't censor my guests. I mean, even if it's something I consider controversial, I mean, like that's who they are, you know, the, the, this is who they are. So, um, uh, usually my, ed lately my editing has been more like sound quality, things like that. And I usually use zoom as, as my, uh, my platform. You know, I've used Skype. I use Skype early on, but I've really grown to like zoom. I think it's a better, but I'm actually really interested in not only Streamyard, but there's actually another platform I'm looking at. Cause I'm going to be starting a second show here very soon with a, a friend of mine. Um, it's going to be a live stream. It's uh, we're going to use a platform called, uh, uh, EVM EVMUX. And it's similar to, to StreamYard, and um, I'm excited about that because with the live stream, you just you record and then you 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 put it out there, you know. And and I and I think I think that that style actually really lends itself well to the podcast because I think the spirit of the podcast is to capture people in their natural environments. You know, you sort of get to be the the crocodile hunter in a way. You know, like you're 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 getting the privilege and the opportunity to talk to people in their natural environments where they're, they're most comfortable. And, and get to see who they really are, you know? So I think the live stream lends itself to that because you're getting that, like things are going to happen. And, and my, my philosophy and my saying is that's podcast. Yeah. That's podcasting. You know, sometimes you got to just stop around the restroom real quick and you have, you know, two, three, four minutes of dead air, you know, like it's, that's, that's podcasting, you know, sometimes they say, well, they freeze up in the midst of their conversation. <laughs> and then you're like, well, are they, they drop and, you just continue with the show. Well, you know what? This is what I found interesting about so-and-so. And, and all of a sudden they pop back on and then you bring them in. I'm like, hey, we were just talking about you. Like you yeah. do these things. You just got to go yeah. with the show. Go with I, the show. Asked, I interviewed John Brennan uh, 
last week and I actually lost power like right at the beginning of the, the interview. So it's split in two parts right now. So I've got, I've got my intro and another intro basically. And he told what was funny is he had kept talking and I think it continued to record. So he actually, there's some parts of it I haven't heard yet. So I'm actually very curious to hear what he said, but I mean, yeah, I mean, that's podcasting. It happens. Yeah. No. And that's the, really the only time I will edit. And then I like the reason why I got into podcasting and started out with podcasting was I was actually going back to school to brush up my skills and at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. So I have some radio experience and I have TV broadcasting experience. Yep. But then they added the into the curriculum podcasting. I'm like, oh, wow, I really want to. How cool is that? How cool is that? That it's such a recognized medium now. Let me let me tell you something, Kim. You'll laugh at this. When I first started doing this, and I'm still sort of a, uh, I think the best way to say this, I, I still sort of have a stick up my butt about the way I do it. Like I, I try to be professional, you know, and I try to be on time and prompt, and because I'm interviewing celebrities, um, so th- there's a there's a level of anxiety I have about that. Like you know, I mean, they're they're just people, but. I feel very fortunate that they're giving me their time. So I want to make sure I provide a, a good professional positive experience for them. Um, but it's <laughs> one, one of my biggest anxieties early on doing this was actually yawning. Cause like I, I had my thing, like when I get anxious, I yawn all the time, like yawn nonstop. And my first like couple of podcasts, if you watch my face, you can't really tell, but I'm sitting there suppressing a yawn for like, an hour. I mean, it's just like, I just feel myself just want to whew, like that. And then the, you know, and, and the people are going to feel uncomfortable like that. I feel like they're boring. I'm like, no, nope, it's just a nervous thing. My body wants to yawn whenever I'm nervous, you know? So it's, um, and, and now I've, I, I don't care anymore. Like I just, I just yawn. Cause I mean, it's, I'm human. Right. So like, I'm tired. I work a full-time job and you know, I, I do this on the side. So it's, uh, but that was one of my biggest fears was yawning or like, or like when I found myself starting to talk on the mic, I started like noticing my breathing. So my breathing was weird and it was unnatural. And I'm like, dude, just breathe. Like just breathe normally. And I couldn't like, but my body's like, mm, no, now we're going to breathe a different way. But, but the more I did it, you just eventually get to, it just becomes natural. You know, you don't even think about it anymore. And it's just having a conversation with people, you know, every now and then. You know, yeah. I, I found out like back in 2009, 2010, when I went to first with Connecticut School of Broadcasting, and at first I was like, oh, I want to be on radio. I want to have my own talk show on the radio. But then when I got into the TV production and the the editing, I, I was like, wow, I really, because I love art. And I looked at it in a different way of art. Mm-hmm. Is the editing certain scenes and putting something together. And that's what they do in the film. You yeah. know, and the film industry is so holy shit. It's crazy. Because you you have the the scenes like numbered and everything. You could start at scene number thirty four first. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go in chronological order because there's locations, there's this, there's all these issues that people don't realize, and then they have to go back and piece the puzzle together to create that master piece movie that you yeah, go yeah. get to see it's rare a lot of- sequence i've done it i actually did it recently um we my my team we were uh next week is the uh, knoxville film festival and we did a short film called uh, love Corey. 
And it was part of what they call the seven day shootout. It's a, it's a competition. You have seven days to do a, a film four to seven minutes. And I mean, I'm, that that's writing, casting, f- shooting, editing, getting it out there, making a poster, the whole shebang. The poster's not required, but there is a best poster contest. And it, it was exhausting. It's the first time I've ever done that. And it was exhausting, but I had a really solid team and we got it done. And but what was interesting is we, we wrote the script in a night and which I was confident we could do that. I wasn't worried about that. Um, I was more concerned about getting it filmed in a night. Cause I mean, you think, okay, four to seven minutes is going to take an hour. No, no, no. It, it, it took, that was like almost a 12 hour shoot to do, yeah. to do four to seven minutes. Um, we were we filmed in sequence though. And it worked out that way too, because the idea was in this film, we wanted to, to give, we wanted it to seem like days had passed. Like it was, there was a time progression. So we felt like the best way to approach it would be to film in sequence, because as we filmed in sequence, the day continued on and got, you know, it got darker and darker and we could kind of create that illusion that multiple days had passed in the film. Um, Ideally, though, you don't film in sequence because of things like location, actor availability, scheduling, weather, sun position, you know, like, I mean, you know, like you may be in a place and it's high noon. Well, you can't get, you can't get good outdoor shots at high noon because, you know, ideally you want to do it in golden hour. So you might do your indoor shots. Well, if you, if you have, you know, 15 scenes in the kitchen, it makes sense if you're already set up in the kitchen to just go ahead and get all your kitchen shots done. So that may be scattered all throughout the script. You know, there may be some in the beginning, some at the end, some in the middle, some, you know, three quarters. Yeah. You got to make sure you change the outfits and everybody's, yeah. you know, there's somebody that's logging in everything that was in position. Yeah, that's why you have a script. You have a script supervisor. You have your script. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, like the people, one of the coolest things about filmmaking for me, it's given me a great appreciation of films. Like I've watched, you know, films that I would normally think were trash. I can now appreciate them because I, I can see how much work went into getting it done. There are some bad films out there, but people, you know, it's almost one of those things. Like I almost feel like everybody should be required to make a movie before they're allowed to judge one because yeah. you, just, you just don't know how much work goes into making a film. And, and you only see the film. You don't see all the pre-production. That no, goes into you see it. the masterpiece, but you don't see what it took from A to get to Z to create that masterpiece. It's magical being on set, and that's that's the the wonderful thing. But there was hours and hours and hours and hours of pre-production before that, planning, scheduling, getting people together, finding out who's you know who's available on this day. Well, then you know. F- some people are available on this day. Others aren't. You're like, okay, well now we got to find a different day. And then some people are not available on that day, but then the other people are available on that day. So you're, you, so you're trying to find a way to film around people's schedules, you know, dealing with money, getting your shot schedules yep. together. It's just, it's a lot of work, but I'll tell and you. Some people don't realize some of them, you know, some of these movies has taken like three to seven years. And then with COVID it was whew, backlog, you know, kind of thing. And like my favorite new movie now because i keep going back to my facebook watch this and that knows now i watch maverick clips i went to go see the movie and that's like oh my god it was just to me mind-blowing can i tell you something weird about myself kim what i i don't know why i'm this way i think it's a comfort thing uh I will watch the same thing over and over again sometimes. And, and, and when I say that, I mean that quite literally, I I have watched return of the living dead twice today. Um, and I've, I've watched it probably 10 or more times over the past, like two or three weeks there. And, and I don't know what it is exactly. It, 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 it's like a comfort. It's like putting on a blanket for me in a way. I just, I love that movie. And the funny thing is I didn't like it the first time I saw it. 
But I have fallen in love with that film. The sound design in particular, I love. I love the cinematography. I love the characters, even though they're in this really precarious situation that's bad. I just enjoy being amongst those characters. I love kind of getting the time travel back to the 1980s. And I love the sound. I'm really blown away by the sound design, and the cinematography of that film. And um, I, I just, I find myself watching it over and over again. And I don't know why, you know, before that I was watching like Shaun of the Dead a bunch. And then I'll watch like, you know, there's a, there's a period of time where I was watching the big Lebowski over and over again and uh, your know, office space over and over again. It's, it's strange. I don't know why I do that. Like the office, you know, my girlfriend, kind of laughs at me because you know i can hear like sometimes i'm talking to her on the phone and she's watching the office and i'll start quoting the show um because i've watched it so many times i, I just i kind of know like i've been watching the super fan episodes recently <laughs> sorry and, and i know where the extensions like i know where the extended scenes are i'm like oh it's an extended scene because i, I remember this i've seen the show so many times i know where that scene was cut every now and then i'm kind of vague on something but for the most part it's i, I know where things were cut so i don't i don't understand that about myself uh, I, th- I think it's a quirky trait that I have. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> like you just like, are you just drawn to, you know, that kind of environment, the, you know, the atmosphere of what, you know, what's going on in that. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are people who think it'd be fun to be in a zombie apocalypse. I mean, I, I've, I remember as a kid having that thought. In fact, I, I, I haven't thought about this and probably, you know, 20 plus years, but I, I remember being in like, you know, fifth grade, eighth grade, something like that, and sitting outside waiting for the, the band room to open so we could go to band class and thinking like, how cool would it be if there's like a bunch of zombies walking up the, <laughs> walking up the oh field, out back, you know, and like, you know, now I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I am in big trouble if a zombie apocalypse happens where I'm, I'm not going to make it very long, you know, but it's, I, I think it's just a comfort thing. You know, I think like after a hard day, after, um, or, you know, like, like my, my job gives me some anxiety, I think, because of the nature of what I do. I'm dealing with data backups, and that's a heavy burden to carry because, I mean, that's this is a company's lifeblood. If they lose their data, that can cost millions of dollars. So I think – so, I like – and what's funny is I say I watch a movie, I'll listen to it, actually. I'll kind of glance over at it occasionally, but I'm actually listening to the audio, and I can kind of see it play in my head. Um, I think there's just – that sort of is like – a self-soothing thing for me. Like I know this film, I'm familiar with it. I really enjoy the characters. I enjoy the story. There's just something sort of soothing about it for me. Um, and I'll, uh, I don't know. It's weird. I've just, I, I've, but I've literally watched the movie twice today. <laughs> Wait, you want to see? <laughs> I just thought of this. <laughs> I'm afraid of flying, Oh my but gosh, I'll man. watch Maverick and like when he's doing the turns, I'm doing this and, you know, with him in the jet and whatnot. So I'm like, that's odd. <laughs> but yeah, I, ha- I do have a fear of flying, but I love watching, you know, those F-16s, F-18s just doing their thing and going, you know, nine G's up in the air. And I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> I, I know. So when I was in, um, I, I was briefly in school for cybersecurity. And my pro, so WGU, they have a, a, a program mentor they assign you. So this is a person that is there to encourage you and help you and just kind of stay with you through the degree program. This guy, his name is Earl. I don't know how Earl's a real person because he, he literally has like a movie resume. And when I, and when I say that, what I mean is he, in the 1980s, he was a fire pilot. He got out of the air, he got out of the air force and he's a, a trained shuttle astronaut. He didn't go on a mission, but he's a trained shuttle astronaut with NASA. He's got a PhD in like particle physics. I think it was, 
Mm-hmm. And then he owned, he owns a business that has over a thousand employees. I'm like, how is this guy a real person? And then not only does he have this super impressive resume, he's one of the nicest, most humble men you'll ever meet. You would never think that he, that he had accomplished any of this. He's so incredibly kind and humble. You would never think he's accomplished any of that. The, the dude, the dude was a fighter pilot in the eighties. He was living top gun, you know, <laughs> like, wow. and, and, and he just, he's just a regular guy, you know? But I mean, like, um, I, I met another guy who's a fighter pilot in the, uh, in the late, in the late seventies, early eighties. His name is Wes Stowers. He's a local business owner in Knoxville. And what was cool about meeting him, I love World War II airplanes. And Wes owns a P-51 Mustang, which is probably like my favorite airplane. It's got that, it's got a Merlin, a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine on it. It's a turbocharged engine. This plane is beautiful. And it was, it was like this shiny, it was shiny silver. It was like a chromed out plane. It had the D-Day stripes on it. And I, I, I was actually out with a friend getting pizza. We were hanging out and this thing came roaring over the pizza place. And I'd never seen a P-51 in real life. And I never expected to see one in real life outside of an air show. So I certainly didn't expect to see one just pass over me when I was going inside of a pizza restaurant. And I flipped out because I didn't have my phone. I was hoping he was going to come back, but he didn't. Later on in the day, uh, we, we were at the park and I saw him coming over the river to land. And I knew exactly where he was going. He was going to a place called Island Home Airport. So I, I, I grabbed my friend Veronica and we zoomed out to the Island Home Airport. I got permission to go out. And look, and there was this P-51. And I've got pictures of me touching the plane. He opened up the wing for me and showed me that he has some decommissioned 50 caliber machine guns in the wings. He answered all my questions. I mean, like, really nice guy. I spent over an hour in this man's hangar. And it, and it, it turned out, it worked out because he was actually uh, waiting for nighttime to do a night flight. He needed to get some night hours in. But I, I, I got to, like, I literally took a picture of my hand touching this plane so I could prove to everybody and myself, like, I just touched a P-51 Mustang. You know, this, this, there's a, there's a movie called, um, empire of the sun and somebody calls it the Cadillac of the skies. Cause I mean, it just, it was, it was just such a beautiful, beautiful piece of machinery in it. And, and it may, when you're on the wrong end of the plane, when it's coming in to kill you, when it's in like war speed, like, so the, the, the engine's turbocharged and it makes this whistle sound when it goes past you. Um, and I asked, I asked Wes, I was like, what is that whistle sound? He said, well, it's one of two things. It's, it's either the, so the, the inner guns, there's six 50 caliber machine guns, three on each wing. And they, they recess into the wing as they get near the fuselage. So the, the inner guns are recessed inside the wings. So there's a, there's a hole. And at certain angles, the wind catches that hole and creates a whistle sound. But he said, more than likely what you're actually hearing is the turbocharger of the engine. So like when, so when you hear a Merlin engine, because the the, uh, the Spitfire, the British Spitfire also had the same engine, the Merlin engine. Um, when you, it has a really distinct whistle. So like that's you can absolutely identify a Merlin engine by that whistle. A little, little side trivia about me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, impressive. <laughs> yeah, I love World War II airplanes. <clears throat> Do you remember that movie Pearl Harbor back in uh, ninety? Yes. What year was that? Was it 99 or two? Ben Affleck was in it and Liv Taylor. Um, oh, I forgot her name. Um, it's Aerosmith's daughter. Or not Aerosmith, Steve Tyler's daughter. The group. <laughs> Steve, wait, Steve Tyler from Aerosmith's daughter, Liv Tyler. It was Ben Affleck, Kate Beckinsale, Josh Hartnett, uh, and a bunch of other people. Uh, Jimmy King. Jennifer Garner. Oh, I forgot Jennifer Garner was in that. What year was that movie? Uh, 2001. I went and so in 2001, I was rocking high school 
And I went and saw Pearl Harbor with uh, my girlfriend at the time. And you remember at the beginning of the movie, they're playing chicken in those P-40s and they, they eventually turn and pass each other. The sound in the theater of those two planes passing each other, it, it had an impact on me. And, and, that, and that's a testament to filmmaking, actually, and the sound design. There was something about that scene. I had never really cared about these planes until that very moment. And I fell in love with, with Warbirds at that moment. Like ever since, two, so for the past 21 years, I have, I have loved these airplanes because of that one scene in that movie. Um, and, and, you know, people make fun of that movie and they call it cheesy and stuff. Um, <laughs> that movie actually literally changed my life. I, I, I not only fell in love with airplanes, I fell in love with the 1940s. Like I've really gained an appreciation for the time period. You know, I've actually never discussed this film. I've never talked about it. Um, that, that movie had a really deep impact on me and, and I've, I've loved those airplanes ever since then. Well, just like, about the sound design. well, with the, you know, movies like that, you know, you're getting a glimpse of, you know, and that's why I love watching history and documentary movies and some, and I'm very, like, I'm an emotional, intuitive transmedium, and I'm very high, like, a highly sensitive empath. So even seeing something, I could just feel that pain, the, the suffering and all of that, and, like, feel the negative energy of the history of the war and, and what happened. So I, I'm, like, very careful, but then I'm, like, I have to in order to understand you know, the aspects of what actually happened in those times, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, and some people like, Oh my God, you know, kind of, thing. I'm like, no, you have to understand your history. If you don't want your history, you're destined to repeat it. Yeah. You know, and being very intuitive. I see it's like a movie screen to me. I'm seeing how history keeps repeating itself and we're doing the same thing. Or it, it just takes a different, it get, transfers the energy and creates an, a, a certain, like a matter and a form in a different time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And war, you know, war gets really romanticized in Hollywood. And, and people, at least when you're younger, you know, as a young man, you, you know, I, I remember when the towers fell. I was a sophomore in high school, you know, and, and there was a, a lot of, a lot of the young men, you know, uh, we were, we wanted to fight. At that point, you know, that was our Pearl Harbor. We wanted to go fight and get revenge for what, what had happened, what we saw, you know. And then as I get old, as I've gotten older and come to grips with my own mortality and, you know, gained an appreciation for human life, you know, I mean, like war, war is a really horrible, horrible thing. And, you know, it, it's, it's, we don't, not only is death bad, but like the, the people who don't die, the, not only the physical, but the emotional scars that it leaves on people. Um, the trauma. Uh, yeah. Like people who are just never the same, their lives will never be the same. Um, we're not created to go to war. It's a program and it's about money, greed and power. Yeah. I appreciate, I really appreciate that so much emphasis was put on the, the world war two generation in the early two thousands. And even today, there's still a great respect for the generation, but I'm really hoping to see a shift to, that love of appreciation for Vietnam veterans. And then, you know, even, and the Korean war is kind of been forgotten, but like, but not only the Korean war veterans, but the Vietnam veterans and then our current veterans, I'm, I'm hoping one day, you know, God willing, I, I get to, I get to be an old man. I'm really hoping there's a movement to really 
remember and memorialize and appreciate what our, what our current young men have done. It's, it's weird to me. The first time I ever realized that I wasn't a youth anymore, as goofy as that may sound. Um, I'm originally from Nashville and there's a, there used to be a media play in Nashville on Gallatin road and it's now a Goodwill. But if you're, if you come out of the store and you look left across the street is a Marine Corps recruiting station and the recruiters will actually train with the young people and get it, help get them in shape for boot camp. And one day I happened to be out there and I was looking and they were out in the parking lot and they were, you know, getting ready to go on a run or something. And it dawned on me like, wait a minute, that's not my generation anymore. And I never thought about that, that my time, like that I'm still a young man, but I'm not a youth anymore. But like, I, I, I had not considered that my time had passed, you know, like that's no longer my generation fighting this war. Um, I mean, those, those out there, the outliers who are in, you know, the tier one special forces and stuff like that. But, you know, outside of that, my generation is not fighting this war anymore. What was really humbling and weird is kids that hadn't even started school were fighting this war. You know, when I was in high school, these kids were not born or they were like in daycare. And then now, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the last generation to have fought the war before it ended. That was a really strange perspective to gain. It's like these were babies when I was in high school and now they're in Afghanistan fighting, you know, like that was such a strange humbling, you know, it's, it's weird getting older, you know, and by the way, folks, this is podcasting. Don't have, you know, like just, just have a conversation, you know, this, this is the yeah. like, this is podcasting. And but speaking you know, of, I, I need to give a, a shout out to um, pretty bling boutique for the nice, lovely jewelry that I get to wear for my show. Um, because it's, you know, being in not to get sidetracked or whatnot, but you know, that's, you know, part of podcasting is, you know, getting the right guests, booking them, scheduling, you know, and me, since I'm visual as well, I have to make sure that I'm not wearing the same outfit for the next interview or the same jewelry. So it does take work because I'll have like five or six interviews in one day. So I have to have everything, you know, make sure my hair is different for, you know, change it up a notch, uh, make sure my makeup's on, but make sure I change my blouse right now. I'm virtual. I'm not in a studio. So it's like, you better make sure you have your blouses checked and you know, what jewelry are you going to wear with this outfit? And then did, did, and I have it spread out ready for me. So then in between the interviews, I do my changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I'll just wear the same outfit. I, I'm different. I don't care. But you know, you because I'm so like, I guess detailed and organized in no, that, no, and sense. I want to look professional too. So it's yeah. to me, it's like it's this is my talk show. It, it, no, it totally makes sense. And and you really, you actually did a, a good transition to the other thing I was going to bring up because we had discussed off air how much work goes into a podcast. Nothing really. You know, people have told me it's a lot of work, but I, I didn't, I didn't understand that until I, I, I got into it. I mean, it really is. It's a lot of work, especially if you do editing and you do your own editing. Like I, I try, you know, I've, I've, I've tried different things. Like I've tried to take timestamps. Like if there's like, okay, I need to cut this. Like, you know, with zoom, you can't see a clock, you know? So like I, what I, what I inevitably end up having to do is I have to go back and listen to the entire episode. And as I'm listening to it, I have to stop and make a cut and then listen to it. Okay, we're good. Hit spacebar, continue listening to it. Well, a lot of my interviews are over two hours. So it can take me eight plus hours to edit one episode. And, um, and I'm very much, you know, you hear a lot of actors and directors, they don't watch their movies. 
Um, because they, I, I, I've never understood that until I started doing a podcast. Like, for, I don't know, for whatever reason, like no matter who I talk to, for the most part, I don't want to listen to the interview again. Like I lived it and I'm like, there's, there's some kind of thing in my brain. My brain does not want to listen to the entire interview again, but like I have well, to. Well, I do because then I go back, you know, and I think, oh, what can I do better for the next interview? Like I look at it as a, you know, like I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Yeah. Oh man, you know, I should have thought of, you know, that's why I definitely, cause I have a tendency I have Pretty Bling Boutique in the description notes, but if I don't have a post-it or something to remind me, like, hey, you know, I want to give a shout out to Pretty Bling Boutique. Thank you for the jewelry. You know, it helps me look good. Mm-hmm. That's, and so, and that's, a, that's a cool way to do the ad, too. Like, you know, if you're doing copy or something, just kind of like naturally integrate it into. So, some people, they'll pre-record ads and append them to the beginning or throw them in the middle somewhere. I like the people that actually integrate into the conversation. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, did you see this nail somewhere? And check this out. Well, and see, but here's the thing, you know, a lot of people do not realize that in order to get ads, you need sponsors. Mm-hmm. And these companies look want to know how many downloads you get a day, how many viewers you have, you know, like they want to look at your stats. They want to look at the analytics before they invest and putting their stuff on your show. Yep. It's even with radio, it's like, it's different now because of the, you know, how everything has evolved, even in, you know, like the radio and podcasting then TV and now streaming, you know, before radios, radio stations, they still have commercial sponsors like, um, you know, the car dealer, the, um, you know, the injury lawyer. You know, those are on the radios and then you see them on TV and then you have the pharmacy companies and all of them. That's what's paying the shows that you get to listen to and watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, now and- you're a one man show. You started the podcast. So your thing is to get attention, get more audience, get more views, get more downloads. And it, there's no telling how long that's going to take. Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we just recently, um, I think we're nearing 3000 downloads, but that's taken almost a year. Um, and it's, it's one particular episode that's, that's gotten all the traffic. I don't know what, I don't know if it's because of who the guest was. I don't really know what was different about that episode, but I've got one that's driven most of the traffic for the show. It's hard because I mean, you're competing against thousands of other podcasts all trying to do the same thing. And, you know, I, I I would say the motivation going in shouldn't be to get famous or to like, you know, for me, I I wanted to, it's, it's opened up the door for me to get to talk to my heroes. It's opened up the door for me to, to get to talk to people I wouldn't normally get to talk to and to learn from them. I mean, as a filmmaker, when I get to interview these other filmmakers who have, you know what? I mean, Jason Horton, I, when I interviewed, I mean, he has over 40 films under his belt. I mean, the guy has so much to teach and he's an incredibly talented teacher. So I would never have gotten to talk to him in that capacity without my podcast or, or not for a long time. You know I mean? I, 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 maybe now I might could, could, you know, I've reached a place where I could potentially talk to him, but, but early on the guy would have no reason to talk to me. You know, so, but, but the podcast opened up the door for me to get to talk to him and ask him questions, you know, cause that, that was the one thing I had when I started making films is like, I just, I had questions. I had more questions than anything. 
and I needed a mentor. I need so like before before I was able to build a network of people I could go to for support. The podcast was one of my only ways of of getting to ask questions to these veterans and say, "Hey, how do I do this?" or "What do you?" I didn't I didn't ask it like that. I made it a more general question. But I absolutely have used my podcast to educate myself a little bit, and 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 hopefully it, by consequence also educate other people who are, who are looking to be filmmakers. Who are early people. like yeah, I'm hoping I'm asking questions that they want to hear the answer to, and that, that's what's cool about Streamyard, like a platform like this though is like if you have your listeners, they could. I, I, I'm considering maybe switching over to a more live stream format. Um, because I like the idea of, of, of if I have people listening who are filmmakers and they have a question, they could just throw it into the chat and say, you know, Hey, like, what, what, what do you think about this? And then I can bring it on screen and, and, you know, and if I'm interviewing like Larry Hankin or Jason or Hilton or whoever, you know, I mean, or, you know, heck if I had, if I had Steven, if I had Steven Spielberg on, like, you know, it'd be kind of cool for him to get to see these questions these people have, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, this, this platform definitely lends itself well to podcasting. I'm very much considering switching over to it. Well, you, you mentioned Larry Hankins. I enjoyed having a conversation. And I just love having a conversation. Like, I want to pick your brain. Like, what inspired you to acting? What did, you know, what was it like back then? Especially, you know, someone like him. <clears throat> you know, and, you know, even with his, he had a, a, a learning disability. I think it was dyslexia. <clears throat> and I, like, really never dawned on me like i really didn't know like you don't act like you have that like that doesn't you know so it's like yeah wow how did you manage all this time pick shorter films you know shorter lines this is our take i had he had to adjust you know his passion for acting based on his learning skills Mm -hmm. to well if it's a longer run i need longer time before i go in front like in front of the camera and he doesn't come from a time where something like that was catered to. I mean, today, now people are like, okay, you got dyslexia, cool. Well, you know, we'll get you a coach or we'll give you more time. But in the 1960s, nobody gave a crap. Oh, you have dyslexia, what's that? Learn your lines. You know, like he comes from a time when that wasn't, mm-hmm. you, you weren't given concessions for something like that. You know? <laughs> right. Um, and he, man, but he, I he, love awesome. <laughs> Larry's awesome. <laughs> he was. He was funny too. I still love him. Oh my God, him in that home alone scene. I cracked up laughing. That was the donut. Yeah. Well, he's a, you know he's a he's by nature a comedian. He's an improv guy. Yeah. Which which, which I think is really cool. I, I didn't know that about him, and I, and I learned that. And what's been interesting about talking to actors is I've learned. I feel like I've learned a little bit about myself. I I've I've always so like my my grandfather. I still have one living grandfather, and I'm very close to him, and I'm very grateful he's still around. And I have. I don't think there's a man alive I respect more than my grandfather. And if I can be half the man he's been in his life, I feel like I've accomplished something. And I told him that. And one of the things I I really admire about him is he worked two jobs, basically his entire life, take care of his family. And he never complained. And these weren't glamorous jobs. He just was happy to have a job to provide for his family. And I've beat myself up because I have a really good job. That's awesome but I don't enjoy it. And it makes me unhappy. And I'm like, you know, it, it just, it drains my soul. And I've, I've really been beating myself up for a number of months now. Like I, 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 why, why am I this way? Why am I wired this way? And it's been in talking to these actors and actresses that I've really started to sort of discover who I am. 
It's it's because I'm just I'm not I'm an artist at the end of the day. I'm doing you know I forget I can't I, I think it's you know I think right brain is the art side I can't remember but I'm more yeah, right I, side is the 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 creative and then the left side is the logical side. Okay, so I can use both sides of my brain, but I'm more right brain. But I'm doing a left brain job, hardcore left brain, and I just can't. It, it just it, it's it's my my mind and my psyche my whatever has finally just said enough enough man stop you know like it just get out of this you know and it's like well dude we can't i'm trying you know like i'm, I'm trying i'm trying to make it as a filmmaker as you know i don't i don't care if it's the podcast or the film like i want to i want to do both it'd be great to do both professionally but you know i'm grateful for my job but i've just i but I, it's I, not your sole purpose it's not why you can't yeah, yeah and i think like what you said earlier your grandfather working two jobs i think it was it is, and this is coming from a, a life coach now, it's we were all taught, go to school, get good grades, get a good job. And look at most of the people, they live paycheck to paycheck. And it was a program, it's a belief. Mm -hmm. But they're not living their life. They're not living their purpose. They're unsatisfied. They're unhappy. They're angry, dissatisfied, unfulfilled. But yet they haven't stopped like, well, or they resent what they're doing because they really want to do something else. I want freedom. Like, you know, I, I like Kevin O'Leary a lot. Uh, I don't agree with him on everything. I, I think he has sort of, uh, uh, I don't agree with some of his views on money. Um, who Kevin O'Leary, he's uh, one of the shark tank guys. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, one of the things I do like that he, he, he talks about the freedom that comes with being a business owner and the freedom that comes with, you know, financial success. But let me tell you something. I, I, as I get older, I have learned because I was a very driven young man and I, I was started climbing the corporate ladder early. Money absolutely does not bring happiness. I can tell you right now, you can make a million dollars a day. And if you have to get up every day and go into something you hate with a passion or that just in general makes you miserable, that money's not worth it. It, it loses its sheen, you know, cause you're eventually going to run out of things to buy. You're eventually going to run out of things to do. You've been there, done that. All you're left with is that job. You have to get up every single day to go to. I could care less if I become wealthy as a filmmaker. I don't care. I, if I can, if I can pay my bills doing it, I'm that's enough for me because I, I, my goal is I want to do something that I'm passionate about and I love that's, that's my drive for making films. And I think films are magical. I love movies you know, and being on a set, man, I mean, like I, I get to feel that magic. I, I get to watch that magic happen. Um, it's enough for me to, to just make enough to pay my bills. I don't care about getting rich. You know, it, it's, it's because that's ultimately not what brings happiness. You, you're going to spend and, 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 and I'm sure you can calculate. I, I can't do the math off the top of my head, but I mean, a, a good number of hours of your life in a job for me, I need to find something that I care about and I'm passionate about if I'm going to dedicate that much life to it, you know? Right. And I think like people with this, you know, with what happened with the pandemic, people got to wake up. Some of them have, some of them haven't, but yeah. those that have, like, that's why I started my podcast. I was, in a, you know, I was home. Uh, hey, I was in school and I, I hadn't finished my school virtually. So they gave me, I had to sign a MacBook kind of desktop, put it on my desk and I was in school learning you know the podcasting and everything that i did before because i went back twice and the second time i got to learn about oh well, how does this podcast thing work and at that time 
I graduated in August on my daughter's birthday, October, I launched my podcast in 2020. So this is going to be two years and I love doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, would I like to generate, like I want this as one of my careers. You know, and have an assistant. Oh my God, would it be nice to have an assistant? Oh, yeah. Have a full time producer. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. I can. Assistant producer. I'm like scheduling, you know, my interviews and everything. And then I just send here's the email, here's their bio, their link, and everything. Put the, the studio together. And I like to have a, a studio to where I can invite guests over. Cool. You know, and have that. I've that's like my my vision of what I see my future self doing, and I get excited about every time I see that vision. Mm -hmm. You know, and I also see myself on stage. You know, talking, speaking, teaching about something. You need to talk. You know? have, you talk have you interviewed Susan Lennon yet? Lenia? Oh my God! Yes. Okay, I was gonna say you need to talk to Susan. Is awesome. You need to. Talk, I was like, you got to talk to her if you've not talked to her yet. I, I I love Susan. She's great. I think actually her. I have um her interview coming up. I think. Okay. That I did. See, I do my interviews, and it it was like a couple months back because it was during the the end of I ended my fourth season. I was doing replays. And booking for my fifth season, so she's in there somewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so, it's and I do every 25, 25 episodes. I end, I get ready to start a new season. Just what like would it, what would help me is like because I can't pay anybody right now, like an intern, somebody that wants experience producing. I need somebody to sit in the podcast with me, and at the end of the show, I can say, "Cut that! Cut that! Cut that! Clean up the sound." post it and, and move on like that's that I need that desperately and I can't get it. Oh, I need someone to do my like, you know, take the tickler out and, you know, take this out. Like, I don't have to do that. I have somebody else doing it behind the scenes, you know, doing yeah. like starting the opener and I just come in and do my thing and I don't have to sit here and click buttons because no one, you can probably hear it, but yeah, it's just. We need that. We need that Joe Rogan budget. That's that's what it is. <laughs> oh well, yeah, he's got on Spotify, but I'm on Spotify. I'm on iTunes. I'm on iHeart. I'm on Stitcher. On um, Podcast Bean. Uh, Alexis even knows who I am for crying out loud. I'm in 25 countries, so that's I'm amazing. getting there. Yeah, I'm getting there. And like what I, the what inspired me was intuitively it was like okay it's it's like the my spirit guides are nudging me poking me going okay it's time do that do it do it and i'm like do what i'm not ready you know and i'm a virgo so i'm a per per perfectionist everything has to be you know together before i do it and i'm like nope just do it <laughs> and i'm like okay i don't know what i'm gonna talk about but then i realized oh yes this is what i want i want to talk about ancient history you know, going back to the Anunnaki, the Sumerians, I want to talk about, you know, how history, science and spirituality, then our limited beliefs and the programmings and the emotional energetic traumas, mm -hmm. you know, how it all has an impart and it's all a tangent together. And if you don't understand your history, we're destined to repeat it. Mm -hmm. So and then I get actors like transformation, people that have overcome traumas and, you know, what did they do? So. 
whoever's listening based on who I have on my show, it touches them or, or inspires them or that gets them to think outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a real, it's been a real privilege getting to, to not only walk amongst those people, but to talk to them, you know, cause I mean, it, it's, there, there are times of sort of, I feel like this is my people. Like I found my people, you know, the, these people mm-hmm. understand me. You know, I'm not talking about myself to them a whole lot, but I know they get me, you know, because I hear elements of elements of myself and them and parts of myself. I didn't realize, I mean, suits talking to Susan was one of those conversations where I learned about myself, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, talking to Hilton Arrow Reese was one of them talking to Larry Hankin, believe it or not, was one of those conversations as well. I learned more about who I am and talking to these people. And I realized like, okay, they're, I, I, that now it makes sense why I feel this way because they're, they feel the same way and they're artists. They're, you know, it's been really interesting too, to see the challenges a lot of them have to face, you know, like with things like dyslexia or, or you know, just learning disabilities in general or um, just the way even, it works. Yeah. And even with Susan and Laura Banks and D Wallace, you know, you know, D Wallace was my hero, you know, from, you know, being the mom on ET and then, the mom and Cujo. Oh my God. I didn't need Wonder Woman. My God, T. Wallace, because she was a badass bitch in that movie with that dog. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of the movie was in that pinto. <laughs> like, you know? Uh, but her it's just she was my hero. But even in those times, you know, they didn't make as much money. I thought she was the leading, you know, she was the leading actress. And, you know, she didn't get the the credit that she so deserved playing that part mm-hmm. you know and you're seeing in certain parts while when they're in that car i mean she shares it on the interview she goes it was freezing cold we had to get somebody because the little you know the um i forget what his name her the the character that the actor that played the son you see him sweating and she's sweating but in actuality it was really cold and they had to figure out to put a heater in that car mm-hmm to keep them warm but be able to play that role of what was going on yeah and i was like wow like you like seeing i didn't you don't connect but when she shares like what they went through (laughs) and there was 12 saint bernards in that movie but you only saw one on the screen you know what i'm saying (laughs) these these alleged i'm not going to talk to her i would love to get to talk to her um, I wouldn't even know how to go about scheduling an interview with Dee Wallace, but um, she's also not. See, I connected with the parts of myself with Dee and Laura. Uh, Laura Banks is an astrologer, and uh, Dee Wallace she channels. She has her own radio show too. So I just connected with those two women. Like, bam, we started talking about you know aspects of spirituality because what they did to reinvent themselves and you know, their transition and their spiritual awakening, what they discovered and everything. So I love talking about that as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's a good point. I, I would, I would tell people too, if you're going to start a podcast, make sure it's about something you care about. Don't arbitrarily start a show like, Oh, I'm going to talk to celebrities and like, no, make sure you actually care. Cause I'll tell you one of the most humbling things has happened to me uh, doing this show. And, and it started with episode one. I walked into my podcast thinking I knew film and I, I knew horror film in, films in particular. And I talked to Harrison and I realized I, I, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. That guy is a genius. And 
I, I have a, a, a level of anxiety with each interview because I'm like, they're going to inevitably ask me about a movie that I've not seen that I should have seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, and every time that happens, I feel like I don't have the right to call myself a film. Well, a film buster. I don't call myself a film buster. I don't feel like I have the right to call myself a horror fan is what I'm trying to say because it's like I've not seen this movie. I've not seen that movie. Some movies I just don't have an interest in seeing. Um, but it, it that's that's been humbling. But it's my passion for that genre that keeps me doing it, that keeps me going. Okay, wait, wait, hold up a second. And you're so into this horror films. I have a question. Why they? Why do they keep bringing Friday the Thirteenth back? It's it's just a blow. And right now. Uh, what is it? Halloween and um, what's the other one? Um, Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, and Texas Chainsaw has been. They keep bringing it back. You know, it, it's it's. I think it's two reasons. I think one, it's not a guaranteed profit it's not a guaranteed money maker but it they tend to be i think too it's just a beloved franchise you know i, I think you know the funny thing is what people don't realize there are a, there's a group out there that cry for a new ip give us something new give us something new come up with something new and every time they do it doesn't make money they'll come out with a new game they'll come out with a new movie and every now and then you get a saw that takes off. But for the most part, they come out with something new and it doesn't stick. And they're like, Friday 13th made money. Let's, let's go. Let's do that again. Don't resurrect him. There's no reason for it. I mean, come on, let's get real now. You know, it's like you're beating a dead horse. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy. Now fast and furious, you know, uh, I can understand. I can't believe that that franchise is still going. I, I don't, Fast and Furious 9 is coming out. But, I mean, Maverick, come on. Now, that is, you know, I, I yeah, I'm going back to Maverick. I just, like, the Jets. Tune, tune. They haven't done 20 Top Gun films. There's been two. And it took them over 20 years. Or, no, I'm sorry, it took them over 30 years to make the second one. You right, know? because, now, this is fascinating coming from film producer to film producer, Okay. Did you see, like, those actors actually had to go to Top Gun Academy. Then Tom Cruise, I mean, he's such a, a, like, I have to give him kudos on his expertise in, uh, um, I can't even say it right now, cinemagraphy? Cinematography. Ah, said it. And, you know, positioning, like now they got GoPros, thank God, but they had these cameras and all these jets and, and whatnot. And like, it took them several, I would say several years, don't quote me on it, but it took a while for them to nail it down to like, okay, we're ready to go now kind of thing. They had to go through this. And I, I think it did take a few years before, you know, you started, they started actually filming and getting everything going and you know tom cruise the pilot you know <laughs> he's actually he's rated to fly jets yeah he, he flies them they wouldn't let him fly the fighter jets but he's rated to fly jet powered aircraft uh double prop and prop what's interesting so they they actually really went up in those jets um what's what's interesting so the first film i think they had like 25 hours of unused footage or something like that. And there was actually pretty much early on, there was a plan for a sequel. And I think they had actually tried to get, um, 
Jerry, I think it was Jerry Bruckheimer. I think they tried to get Jerry Bruckheimer to to do a sequel using the leftover footage from the first film, and then they just they it just it wouldn't happen for whatever reason. And what's kind of cool too, they actually got they they talked the the Navy into letting them fire off a missile. So the, there's there's a scene there are multiple scenes in the film where a missile fires off. They kept reusing the same scene because they they actually they're like you can have one. So they actually fired off a real missile. In filming. Oh, I remember saying, I was like, what is that missile for? So that's what it was. Yeah, they got to fire a real missile in filming. Um, that just, just the one, you know, <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, but they had, they had like 20 or 25, 15, 20, 25 hours of unused footage. And they actually had tried to talk them into doing a second film just built of this, but it, it, but it wouldn't have, I think, I think Jerry said no because it just wouldn't have worked well. It wasn't good footage, but I mean, they, they, it's amazing they pulled that off in the 80s. I mean, GoPro is one thing, but the, to have, you know, these actual like Panaflex cameras and these fighter jets up in the air getting this footage. And it was a mix of like they had these cockpits that they could turn and stuff uh, that they were just cockpits. But then but then they were actually going up in the actual F-14s. Um, that that film, you know, as cheesy as it is. F-16s now. It's, that was <laughs> when Rooster is like, are you shitting me? An F fourteen, this that thing's old. <laughs> like, are you sure? <laughs> there was an amazing jet first time that I mean, but you know now with the F eighteen, F twenty twos, and the F thirty fives. I mean, the F thirty five. You know, I, I watched a YouTube video recently about the F twenty two. That like it's it is the most advanced fighter jet in the world. Like nothing can hold a candle to it. They can't recreate what it is. Like they try and just nothing can. It's an incredibly deadly aircraft. I mean, it's it's. And it, it almost defies gravity. If you watch one of these things take off, yes. it comes up and it almost hovers for a second and then just jets off. And Well, how it just comes like this and it turns and I was just like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, it almost defies, like, yeah, and, and it, it can maneuver differently than traditional jets as well. I mean, like, it's it's a it's a really spectacular aircraft. Um, you know, the, I mean, but the, F, the F-18, you see a lot of the F-18s in the, the Maverick footage, like, it's... it's uh, that's a great aircraft as well, but I'm surprised the whole movie wasn't F-22s. Um, I'm just like blown away just, you know, and I'm here afraid of flying, but man, I just watched Maverick and I get all fired up. I'm like, I think, because I'm going to have to fly out soon. I'm going to watch Maverick. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready to fly now. Let's go. <laughs> kind of thing. I do. I have anxiety about flying. I do too. I'm terrified. My nightmares about flying are literally that I have to get on an airplane. I actually was supposed to be getting on an airplane tomorrow to fly to Illinois for a a, a, a shoot for a film that I co-wrote with somebody, but uh, I had COVID coming to my home, so I, I can't go. We we the production made the decision to for me to just stay home. You know, it's the safest thing to do. So. Oh wow! I'm sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, it's a bummer, but but my anxiety is eased because I know I'm not getting on an airplane. I, but I, I am terrified of flying. But you terrified. know what I say to myself? I'm like, look, you know what? The big girl panties on now, and you got to go here, and it'll cut your time in half, and you don't have to sit in a car. So we're going to get through this, baby. And I just, now that I got Maverick, I'll just get on my phone and, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. And I get fired up and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get on that plane. Where's my seat? And let's go, you know, and have a cocktail just to calm the nerves a little. But the only thing that really gives me the anxiety is the taking off and the landing. That's it. Once I'm in the air, I'm good. 
Those are actually the two parts that I like. It's it's the the middle part that that's so funny because like I love the takeoff is actually pretty awesome. I don't know why I love the way that feels. Nope, not me. Not, the landing's nice because we're done, but it's the being forty thousand feet in the air in a little tube, knowing that below my feet right now is a mile between me and the ground, like I you know however many miles it is. Like I, I can't. I just. I look out the window and I look at the beauty. I'm like, wow, that's Earth. Look at it. Would you Isn't would it? you grow up in an SR seventy one, like one of those like one of those stratosphere craft? Like would you would you if you got the opportunity to go up one of those and go to like seventy thousand feet where you can see the curve of the earth, would you do it? Say what? So you like I, I think the retire I don't know what the equivalent is now, but like like the SR seventy one Blackbirds, they were the spy craft we used for a long time. And it would it, it could go up to like seventy thousand seventy five thousand feet and you could see the curve of the earth and like the sky's dark at that point and you could see the curve of the earth is that, that what uh, Ma maverick did at the beginning of the movie yeah that, that was that was an experimental craft that, yeah. I, I did that mission in microsoft flight simulator um but yeah that's that that's you're you're at like seventy thousand feet no. you know, would you do that if you had the opportunity no i don't know if i could just being in a plane at, at, as how high I am at there and looking down at earth is plenty enough for me. You're, you're as high above a commercial craft at that point as the commercial craft is from the ground. That's the insane part. Like, and, and you know what that makes me think of, uh, William Shatner getting to go to space. How cool was that? Captain yeah, Kirk got to go to space. I actually cried. I'm so happy for him. I've never been happy for a rich dude to have something happen to him like I am him going to space. Like, yeah. He got, he got so much hate over it. I'm like, you don't understand. This guy, he didn't. He's Captain Kirk. I yeah. grew up watching yeah. Star Trek. Beat me up, Scotty. Like, like, and, and, and it's too bad Leonard Nimoy wasn't around. I think Leonard should have gone too. But like, it, it's it's so cool. To see this man who played like Captain Kirk, the the captain of captains, I like know, and, and, and now I mean he actually really got to go to space at ninety something years old. I think it's so cool. <laughs> you know what? What um what was it? What was it? What was I was having a conversation um 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 um, and then there was um actually I don't know what show it was. Was it E Entertainment? Was it Inside Edition? I can't remember. Uh, or oh. Uh, Laura Banks. I had a like interviewing her because she was on the Wrath of Khan with Star Trek and Ricardo um, Montebellum. I can never pronounce his last name right, but it sounds so good. Um, he was the one on Fantasy Island. There's the plane. There's the plane. But he was the guy, the taller guy. Um, the way she talked about him and what it was like even back then with even. You know, she goes, stop and think about it. You had an Asian, you had someone from Scotland, you had an African-American woman and, you know, a white Caucasian on the TV series Star Trek. And then, and then he, he, the fact that he kissed her. Yes. Like, I, I mean, like that was so radical for the time. I mean, like now, I mean, that's, that's, you know, nobody cares, but like, I mean, in the 1960s. That set up something even Bigger, like, why, I don't understand why people are so, you know, with this race thing. It's like, we're all connected. We all believe the same color blood. And we're all connected to something divine, greater intelligence. That's a life force energy. Well, we're all family. We're just dysfunctional. It doesn't matter what color you are. You know? yeah, 
we are so politically, I don't talk about politics, but I'll say this. We are so politically divided right now. And I realized something recently. When you look on the other side of the aisle, no matter how damaging you think their politics might be, with exceptions, the vast majority of people, they truly believe that what they think, what they're, what they're trying to do, what they believe will help the country. You actually both have the same motivation behind your beliefs. You just have a different uh, way of trying to accomplish it. You know, so like no matter if you're far left or far right in the middle, I, I realized one day in a conversation with somebody and it was a friendly conversation. I realized like this person, although they are completely opposite how I am politically, they actually really believe this is going to help the country. Now, I may not agree with it, but their heart is in the right place. They're, they're, they want the best for the people. They want the best for the country. And if people could realize that, if they could stop and set aside their crap for five minutes and realize that these people love America too, they just don't believe like you, there's a compromise somewhere. There's a middle ground. Well, hold up a second. I mean, here's one thing I could say, but and this is my philosophy, and I'll... I won't change this part of my my philosophy and what I've, you know, learned and realized and whatnot. I'm like, you know what? Even learning from history, okay? Um, in the beginning, it was all about control, power, and greed. And I see that energy just t being transferred in different time periods and manifesting in different forms. But I'm like... Well, didn't they realize that shit really didn't work and how many people died over this shit? So um, my thing is, if it's not a win-win, bad idea. Yeah. It has to be a win-win for everybody. That's why some of this division and this hatred and all this chaos, it, it to me, it's like, okay, this is a strategic plan that's been going on. This is like energy that keeps manifesting and not getting anywhere, really. Um, what has to change? Well, we got to think in a different mindset and change some yeah. of our beliefs because apparently it didn't work in the past and it's still lingering. Mm -hmm. We got to stop and say, okay, hold up a second. This sounds, this looks, this feels familiar. Didn't work before. So now let's create a plan to where it's a win-win for everyone. It's, it's love. I mean, your motivation has to be love. And when, when you can stop and see the heart of the other person and realize that they love America too, they just think the, they, they, they think what's better for the kid. How can it be love if they're, if it's not a win-win for everyone, like everyone's getting taken care of everyone. What, what I'm saying is this, this is the fit. Like what, what I'm getting at is I'm not taking a stance here politically. What I'm saying is, the place it starts, I think, is for each side to stop and realize that these people that you hate, that because they believe differently than you, if you if you really stop and look at them as an, as a fellow human being, and you realize they love America too, and they just in their mind what they believe is what's best for the country, where like just like you in your mind you believe what you believe is what's best for the country, when you can when you can meet in the middle on that and find common ground, say wait a minute, you love America, well I love America too, so let's let's work together. Then you could start to work together. Then you could start to have cohesiveness. But in order to do that, it takes humility and it takes love, and that's what's missing. People are so selfish and so wrapped up in what they believe, they can't stop to look at what the other people are saying and say, okay, well, what, what's good in what they're saying? What's good in what I'm saying? Let's find some common ground here. They can't because it's it's all about, like Tulsi Gabbard was on Joe Rogan's podcast 
And she literally told him, my first day in Congress, they said to me, it is not about the bill. It's about a win for the party. And that's the problem. And that's the way it's been for a long time. That's the problem. It's, 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 Congress is not on our side. It's up to us. We have, we, we are fortunate in this country to have the power of a vote, you know? So now we like countries don't fall, you know, not often do countries fall militarily. They fall through division. And that's what's going to happen. If America falls, it's going to be because we, we divide. We get so divided that we just, you know, states start to secede. And now there's, you know, East America and West America. And like, you know, that's, that's how that happens. But it does, that doesn't have to be the case. You know, these people. So my, I, 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 get, I don't talk about my political beliefs because, you know, I just, I, I've been attacked about it in the past and I learned it's best to keep my mouth shut. But what I will say is I, I look on my Facebook and I look at, you know, there are a lot of people who are very vocal about it. Um, I know people who would say, you know, if, if, if you oppose what they're thinking and you respond to it and they unfriend you, they weren't your friend to begin with. I'm different. I care enough about these people that I know that I might believe the opposite of what they believe. I just keep my mouth shut. I don't care. Their, their friendship means more to me than me getting a word in about some political topic. Well, the thing that is, Brian, is like, like people have gotten so nasty. Like, oh, well, if you don't agree with me and become my party, then, oh, I don't want to be a friend with you. What in the hell happen like who care like okay so you know we're on different parties but hey i love you you know i would be like so why do you why do you like being on that party was it a taught to you like because your parents were in that party why did you become that party what's so fast and i would be questioning that like you know i question mine like why do i you know, and a lot of people just don't think for themselves anymore. Yeah. They take other people's thinking and other people's beliefs. And, and, and I'm like, well, no, I value, you know, humanity. I value my planet. You know, I value, you know, financial independence, time with my family, mm-hmm. you know, travel to places I've never been. So people are so small minded. They don't even think what's like what it's like to, to be in Peru or Egypt or uh the pyramids that are in Russia and Turkey and you know all these things that are so ancient they're so so minded that they're they got the blinders on like yeah. this it's it's weird you know I'm I'm really active on Facebook and I have a lot ever since I became a filmmaker my friend list has grown to you know over 2400 people or something and like What's interesting is there there are some people on my friends list who every so often will post things that are opposed to my faith. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a Christian man. I don't hide that I'm a Christian man, and I'm not perfect, but but I, I I'm very deeply rooted in my faith. What I what I have found though is when I see that happen, um, I don't respond negatively to it. I'm not even offended by it. This is just how they feel. What I instead do is I find different ways to relate to these people. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, they'll, they'll post something, they'll post it like they're excited about something, you know, and, and I'll, I'll comment on that. 
I won't comment on their their anti-Christian post. I'll comment on the fact that they're excited about you know this meal they had, or they're excited about you know they got a PlayStation, or they got a camera, they're the, you know what. I'll find something different to relate with them on, and I'll post about that. I'll say that's awesome. I can't wait to see your photographs, or I can't wait to see the next thing you cook, or I can't. That's what I post. I tried. I, I'm very intentional about what I put on my Facebook, and I try to be very positive. I try to be very encouraging. And what's interesting is these people respect me. These people hate my faith. They hate my faith. I literally, if you look at my Facebook, the first thing it says is Christ follower. But these people respect me. And I, and I think it's because I just, I've picked my battles. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people like I, um, I, if you ask me about my faith, I won't hide about it. I'll be open about what I believe. But I, well, that's I, good for you. But I'm gonna be honest. I'm I'm not into religion. I got out of religion because of my research and studying, yeah. and even my experiences that I've had. That you know, I told you before, I channel and 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 when I have an experience, I can't. Go, and knowing what I know now, I just can't go back. I just no. Yeah. That's well, part of a history that a lot of people don't understand. And I'm like, that's fine and dandy. You're not ready. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck, you know, yeah, yeah. but I just, mm -mm. what I was going to say though, is what I have found is that I, I don't, I, I can't, I don't like if I, if I were to walk around beating people over the head with what I believe really, you know, religion wise, it pushes people away, you know? So I just, I found other ways to relate to people. And I found like, you know, if the conversation comes up, I'll share what I believe. You know, I, I, I have found those conversations are more successful if they're organic rather than just like, you know, going and like attacking people, you know. Um, but I mean, to be honest, there's there's some people that are Christians that are just I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. You're being a hypocrite, because if you believe what you believe in, I know different and I know better. And that's not like what you believe your savior. He wouldn't act like that. He wouldn't behave like that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. The, uh, the church has, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's unfortunate, you know, and it's, uh, it's. And just like beach, they, they, it, they like beats you up, like bully you. Yeah. And, and, and I think. I think and threaten you like, oh, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell and, and whatnot. I'm like, <laughs> and that's, and that's sorry. that repels me and that's negative energy. And yeah. I'm like, you know what? I don't have to associate myself with you, you know. That's I, exactly wish you, I wish you well, bless you, but I just mm -mm, cut ties. Give me the scissors and distance myself. Yeah, and that's exactly the point I'm making. Like, I don't ever say things like that to people because I've I've not accomplishing anything. Like, if if my aim is to win somebody to Christ, me telling them you're going to burn in hell for this and that, that's not going to win anybody. My my view on it is I'm more interested in sharing the love of Christ to people. You know, I, I, I see the savior who loved me so much that he, he, he values me so much. That he gave his life for me. That's what I want people to hear about. That's what I want people to know about. You know, um, I just, I, I don't, I, I have never really ever seen it be successful. Somebody attacking somebody else and condemning them to hell. And you're this and that, because at the end of the day, none of us are perfect. You know, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Like we're all flawed people, you know, um, so I, anyway, the, the, the point I was getting, like, I wasn't trying to bring up a religious discussion. The point, the point I was getting at is like, I've just, I, we're, we're really, as a society, we're devoid of love and we're incredibly selfish and we're very self-centered. And, and I think we've really, and, and I'm guilty of this. Um, we it, Closed-minded. 
Well, yeah, people, yeah, absolutely. People be closed minded too. Like it's just we we we've stopped. It's like we've stopped realizing that we're on the same team. You know, well, like, we're only on the same team when the catastrophes happen. There's a hurricane. There's a flood. There's this. That's when we all we you know or uh you know my birthday's nine eleven. So up uh, towers. You know everybody united. Why are we only doing this when a catastrophe? Why don't we do this every day? Yeah, compassion. Yeah. And, and exactly compassion, love, like that's, so that's, that's what I've been trying to like, even, even in what I'm doing with, with my company, you know, my, I, I, I've really recently had my eyes open to what women have to deal with in our society. I had no idea. And I feel bad that I didn't know, but I had no idea what women deal with in our society. And it, disgust, right. it, it disgusts me and it bothers me. And one of my goals with my company is I want to create a safe environment for everyone to create film and and i want people to be valued for who they are and their talents not what they look like not you know like like i want people to look at this person and say wow they're an amazing writer wow they're an amazing actor or actress well wow, like and that's it that's your value for who you are as a person not what you look like you know um we just we're just we're just so devoid of love today man like and that's and that's what it is that's what's missing at the very base it's love it, it, it's love that's missing you know like but here's the thing brian love we are love love is inside of you it's not outside of you it's inside you already you have to experience it in here not from your parents not from your significant other once you experience it in here then you're able to share it and give it and not expect anything because it, it's in here already you yeah. just want to share it with others so hey feel have this amazing experience and that's spiritual because mm -hmm. we're spiritual beings we've had it all along in here but we're taught different yeah we taught love is a condition but in actuality love is unconditional mm -hmm. and that's the misconception that's a whole nother workshop <laughs> Yeah, but no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, like we we are ultimately I mean, we're called to love people, and and I, I I I like love is unconditional, and it's it's something that's inside of you, and to to love, you know, I've heard it said, and I, I guess it's true. Like, I've I've been challenged before. It's like how you know in, in my past, I mean, I've dealt with mental health my in my life, mental health issues, and you know, when I was a younger man, like I I really struggled with depression and self hatred, and you know, I've had people say to me like, how can you love others if you can't love yourself? You got to love yourself first. Yeah. Love you. Fall in love with you. Love is inside of us. I'm telling you from my own, you want to, I call it spiritual awakenings, uh, just a, a spiritual experience. And once that I had that, it was like my eyes, everything opened up. Oh, that's my cat outside. <laughs> you know, what's, what's interesting though, I think, I think, I don't know if I agree with the premise and I've never said this before, but I don't know if I agree with the premise that a person can't love someone else if they don't love themselves. I actually have found at times I love other people more than myself. Like it's like I've been able to see their value, but not my own, but, but, I, but I'm still able to display love to them. You know? Okay. But here's the thing. Okay. Um, you can. Okay. Perfect example. When, when you become a parent and you give birth, you feel a different kind of love. Mm -hmm. 
it's like wow um it, 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 love is an emotion, energy in motion. It raises the vibration and frequencies in your body because we, we are part, now I'm getting science on you, but there's energy created in us and it brings, it sparks something, feels good, it's pleasurable, gives you joy, happiness. So people can actually help you feel that. And what the purpose of that is for you to recognize what's inside you already. It's not because of that personal outside. It, they were sparking love in already in you. But we've been programmed to teach like, oh, it's love at first sight, uh, the chemistry and all this. No. It was just an energy exchange to get you to recognize that love is inside you. Yeah. This is what love is. This, it feels good. It's igniting that fire. It's igniting the love. It's igniting the, the frequency and all that energy in us all. But it, it's been so, I would say, tainted and misrepresented. And there's a misconception about it. And, and, and it takes intentionality too. I mean, it takes. It, it takes and I had to learn this, but now when I had my own experience, I was like, light bulbs were going off and like lightning strikes. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I already have it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to look elsewhere. I don't need it for my parents. I don't need it for my husband. I don't need it for my children. But having children. It just, I want to expand that love to them to help them. But they have their journey. You have your journey. You came here for a reason. You have a purpose. You have a soul. And uh, Dr. D uh, Dwayne uh, Wayne Dreyer, he's one of the greatest mentors and teachers. And he explained it so perfectly. Is... You are a ghost and your body's the machine. The ghost is inside us. This is just the machine that we live in. That's it. Yeah. You know what? Something I'm curious about. What, excuse me. What is your, what is your take on ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? Yes. I've seen them. I've uh, experienced them. I channel. See, I'm at such a higher level of things from my experience and then going back and reading and doing the research because I questioned things, mm -hmm. you know, even because I was brought up a Southern Baptist Christian, but there was things that did not, like, I felt like that doesn't, that's something not right with this, something not right with this. And then from being abused and things that I experienced, I was like, something ain't right with this. Like it didn't make, like I knew, I felt like something's off. Something's not right. Yeah. And then when I started questioning, it was like somebody or something was listening and guided me to give me the truth because I was ready to hear it. And then it just opened up. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I, I understand that. 
Then I asked another question. And then it was like, it would show up and like from a person or from a book or something. That's how my spiritual journey and awakening happened. And it's still going on today. It hasn't stopped. It just takes me to a whole nother and a deeper understanding and gaining uh, other experiences and other wisdom and knowledge to where I could share with others. I'm like, we have it all wrong. <laughs> you know, but we're all at our own pace. Mm -hmm. We're all on, you know, co collectively as a dysfunctional family and individually, you know, some of us are in kindergarten. Some of us are in elementary school, you know, some of us are in middle school. Some of us are in high school. Some of us are in college now. It's just a level of understanding certain things. And, you know, you have a self-realization. You know, there has been mentors, instructors, and teachers that have been teaching this for decades. But some of them have been persecuted, hung, burned, prison. There's writings, there's evidence, ancient history that because of me, my channeling experiences that I've had and whatnot, it led me to these ancient civilization artifacts and writings. And you can't understand the language, but yet when I channel, I'm speaking their language and it connected me to the writings. And I'm like, I don't understand quite what's going on here. But I, I resonate with it. I feel something. There's something about this. There's a connection to this. Yeah. Like a missing piece to a puzzle. And searching and understanding why things are happening the way they are. Why doesn't things connect in, in you know, what most of us have been taught to believe? I'm not, I'm not super familiar with channeling. Can you explain that to me? Like, what like, is it like? being possessed by a being like is it what can, can you explain it to me it's not being possessed it's just okay you understand energy right <laughs> we have energy in us and everything is of energy and there's other energy that you know like you mentioned ghosts earlier okay ghosts are you know in their soul form spiritual form they don't have the body they're not in their machine anymore they're still here you some people and i would say younger kids can still see them under the age of seven once they begin to seven years of age and they're and when they try to express like hey i see this this then that and they're told oh no you're just imagining things that's when things transition and change because then they start questioning what they see and from you know zero to seven that's very an important phase of still understanding about this like the invisible realm or that you can say spiritual realm right children and animals animals do because they're not told otherwise they still see but children when they start to that's why when my children started seeing i believed them i'm like oh okay um describe it to me and then i would smell things and i would like get glimpses of things and i see images things and i would like okay this is what i see this is what i smell what about you and that's how 
they still understand certain things around them, you know? So and it's being that invisible realm because once you're told that what you see is not true, you're imagining things as a child, then it you, you get sort of disconnected from it. Like, is there it, it's like adults can still do that stuff though, because they were in an environment that that was fostered. Like instead of being told, like, oh, what you're seeing is not real, there was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, explore that. So is that why some people carry that into adulthood? Because they're in an environment that fostered, you know, like, yeah, you actually do see something that really is a spirit. Like, is that is that yeah. the thing, thing there? Yes. Okay. okay. Um did it's I they're like some of them that it's like they're to me I resonate with frequencies and vibrations because when they come in it's like I'm getting vaulted like somebody taking a taser gun to me and turning up the volume so I could tell by low vibe like low frequency then it gets a little bit higher I could tell if it's a feminine masculine and then when it gets higher I know it's a highly evolved being um an angel um, an ancient civilization tribe, you know, uh, Native American tribe, um, somebody that crossed over. The, it's just about frequencies with me that I connect with. And then um, a lot of them, it has been ancient civilizations. They come in and they speak a language and it's almost like a soul to soul, spirit to spirit that when they come in and speak the language it's communicating with your soul your spirit and for some reason it's getting more intense because something shifting and changing energetically and things that are happening you know globally and earth you know with the earth and everything it's just okay it's getting more intense i need to do like i feel like i got to speak more i got to channel more because it's supposed to do something for the better good you know i never when they come in i don't fear them sometimes it's so intense i'm grabbing onto the bottom of the chair and i'm like convulsing but i'm i'm so passionate about the message, whatever the message is, give it to it. Give it to whoever needs to hear it to help them. And it's it, it's wild. I cannot make this shit up, Brian. And especially how this all began. Can't make this shit up. I would never make this shit up. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's just mind-blowing. It's I, I just can't make this shit up. I really can't. But I always question about the language. How did language begin? How did it originate? How yeah. did, like, you know what I'm saying? We're so small-minded. Everyone looks at the Bible like, this is how it was. I'm like, no, there's a Torah, there's a Quran, but there's some mixed information here. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I recognize, like, what is these writings? How long ago was this? And, you know, I'm just connecting the, the dots. And I'm like, wow, this goes farther back before all this happened. And wait a minute, I see similarities from this was over 40,000 years ago, but I see it in this over here. Oh, plagiarism, copyright claims here. Man, somebody be a trillionaire now, you know, because it goes far back. That's why I so emphasize about history. You know, we only get bits and pieces of history. But when you question something that you read about history go deeper mm -hmm. it's there that is like 
the best way I could describe it is those were my signs when I even questioned about my own history about certain things. That's when or why I'm here. You know, what is the purpose? If this is all it, there is to life, get me the fuck out of here because I'm done. And I was in abuse after abuse relationships and whatnot. And then having kids, I'm like, I don't want to be like, this is all there is. And, you know, uh, in other aspects of things, that's when, because I was ready to hear the truth in my desperate and saying, you know, I don't want to be here then. I really don't. If this there, if this is all there is to life, check me out. I'm done. But if there's something more, and if the grass is greener on the other side from where I'm standing, show me. That's where my spiritual journey began. I didn't want to hear other people tell me, this is it, this is that, uh, read your Bible. No, that wasn't cutting it for me after, at that point in my life. And it's been an amazing journey and very amazing, crazy, interesting, and just mind blowing. Mm -hmm. But it's this, it, it's an adventure. And I feel like that's what we're all missing is that adventure. Like, because we, we have succumbed to all these programs and we're not being our true authentic selves. Yeah. We're just living that, other people's lives instead of our own lives. I think that journey of self-discovery is really important. You know, I mean, even with my own faith, I, I've, I've examined it. You know, like I'm not, I don't believe what I believe just because that's the way I was raised. You know, I've had my own personal experiences. I've examined it. I've, I've looked at it. I've studied it. I've, qu I've questioned it. I've had times where I've even wondered, do I want to continue down this path? You know, like it's, I, I think I think it's important for every person to have that that journey of self discovery at some point in their life and realize like, you know, why do I believe this? Why am I pursuing this? What is this bringing to me? And like you know, and it's that's what's so cool about humanity in general is like how unique everyone's journey is. Like we're all on the same journey, but in unique ways, you know. And it's, and it's that freaking roller coaster ride sometimes. Holy shit! It is. Yeah. But then when you have the aha, like I call them God self-realizations, aha moments, light bulb moments, you're like, holy shit, that makes sense. And then there's times where I'm like, why in the hell did I think that way? Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, yeah, it's, there are those universal truths about life that you just have to experience it to understand. It's nothing, nothing, you know, when you're in high school, you know, the, the picture is painted for you that you get good grades, you go to college, you're going to get a good job, you're going to get married, have kids, have the picket fence. That's a program. Yeah. And like what they don't prepare you for is health issues that hit you in your 20s and you know, losing a job, you know, financial woes, an economy that collapses, a war. Like there's all these things, you know, the death of your friends, the death of your family. That nothing, they, they, 
And I'm not sure you can prepare young people for life, honestly. I mean, you could do a better job than what's done no, now. No, why not teach? No, here's another thing because um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad came to my mind because it's, you know, between the parents, society, the education system, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw religion in there. They don't teach you how to be successful and wealthy to where you can contribute and do and do even more not just for yourself but for others but it's like the poor teach the poor to be poor middle class teach the middle class to be middle class and the rich teach to be you know the rich to be rich which category do you fall under now look at your family look at society look at you know well hey there's something not right with this I want to be successful and wealthy and have, you know, my, the house that I want to have, the car that I want to drive, but be able to do things that I want to do. The education system doesn't teach you how to be entrepreneurs or business owners. They teach you to be employees. It's been going on for decades. Yeah. So, and you wonder why people are behaving the way they are. Because they haven't woken up to realize it's them. No one can create your life but you. You are the creator of everything that you experience based on and here. And what you see and what you hear and how you feel. So if you don't like your environment, you don't like your experiences then there's a way to change that but the only person that can do that is you yeah no i can do it for you totally agree and, and that's and that's that's one of the reasons i personally feel like like i want to change my experience i want to change the course of my life you know like i've you know what i do now has been good to me and it's blessed me and I had to work hard to get. So now to you're realizing, okay. So now you're in that realization phase. Like I realize this, okay. So, uh, what do I do now? Let it come to you. Mm -hmm. The inspiration and the answers already in here. It just hasn't been revealed to you yet. Yeah. And just trust the process. Like you know what? It's like seasons. We all go through seasons. You know, there's spring, there's summer, there's fall, there's winter. Well, there's phases in our lives too. So just when you have that realization, like, you know what? This is, mm, that's a sign that it's that that season in the phase of your life is coming to an end. So, you know, ask your, you, you know, talk, I talk to your, like, I talk to myself, like I'm talking to my higher self. That, that soul essence. And I talk to it and I get the greatest advice. Sometimes it's amazing. You know, it doesn't happen like that sometimes. Sometimes I'll take the next day, three days, a week, two weeks, a month later. But when I get it, it's like, okay, yeah, all right. I, yes, you feel it. Mm-hmm. So now where you're at, yes, you are ending a season and getting ready to begin. It's a transition to a new season. Yeah. 
not quite sure what that is, but that's the unknown. That's the beauty. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about embrace the unknown. Mm-hmm. Gosh, you have to. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the most terrifying. Don't be afraid of it. Everyone's taught, oh, no, don't go there. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, no, I don't. But you know what? It, it's got to be more better than what I've been, like where I led myself to. So be open. Have an open mind, open heart. And trust the process. There's something better coming towards you. Yeah. The, the unknowns of life can be very terrifying to me. I've, I've had a lot of tragedy in my life. and uh, it, But that's life. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an experience. How would you know the difference if you didn't experience what you experienced? Yeah. I, I've How would you gain any wisdom I've or knowledge? My, I and my family have experienced things that just human beings shouldn't have to experience. And... Um, it's the, the unknown of life. It, it, I, I, what the, one of the things I can't get past is how quickly life can pass. And somebody that you love is there one second and gone the next, just like that. And, and unexpected. I know. And I've been there. That's the part right now that I've been trying to come to terms with, you know, like I've lost. Okay. So it has nothing to do to do with you, Brian. Their time and their season came to an end and their soul went home. They were ready to go. When the soul's ready to leave that the machine, there's nothing you or anybody could do about that. And you gotta trust you gotta understand that and trust that it's a part of life. When the soul's ready to go. It's going to go because that was the soul in that person that you love and care for purpose only to go through. Boom. Okay. Going to go home. They lived for that moment. As crazy as that sounds, I understand it now because of the things I've experienced and the things I questioned and got understanding. Now when somebody goes i'm like i celebrate you because you're back home now yeah. you're in your amazing truest form you're not restricted anymore being in your machine you're free celebrate that they're free they're back home they're in whatever heaven that they envisioned because heaven's inside heaven's in here heaven is what we created to be in the heaven you know like that i know there's a prayer on earth as it is in heaven i question like wait a minute on earth as it is in heaven that doesn't make sense bring heaven to earth Yeah, it's it's creating something that from your imagination that seems like heaven and the present in the physical earth. It's it's when somebody like you know, I lost I lost my dad when I was a kid. I I've I've lost friends and and but but the one the one thing that really threw me for a loop and my family for that matter for a loop is you know, having someone murdered 
and your that that you're close to and um I know not, that's hard. Not, not not only the impact it had on my own life, but the impact it had on my family as well. Um, you know, looking at the lives that were affected by this, not not only the loss of one person's life, but the 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 emotional and physical scars that that left on other people. Um, you know, it's just really. Okay, you know, so can I ask you something? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Imagine. You know, all the families from history, from the wars, the civil wars and the Indians and, you know, all of, you know, even going back, like even back, you know, the wars that created murder and things like that, what it was like for them and the survivors. And a lot of the women that were left widows. I just got done watching a documentary series of um, Benedict Arnold. And I didn't realize, like, even my, my boyfriend now didn't realize some of the history. And either did I. I was like, what? I didn't know this about him. I thought it was his, you know. His wife that he married that was 14. They thought she was a spy. And did total opposite about how this man was a seaman. Um, very strategic in being on the sails and the ships. And he had such a heart because of all the men that was in that war with the British coming in and whatnot. And he was for the... The, the states and how he got treated and how jealousy of these other generals and majors and whatnot were against him and falsifying things over him. But then he started seeing about all the, the widows that had children because the men were killed and like it was murder. And he wanted to, from his own business, give to the widows, provide for the widows. You know, that's how I see history repeating itself. It's just that energy takes on a different timeline, a different time period into another form, a human being. So it's like taking your pain, taking that experience and, and say, wow, I can't like now I sort of understand what it was like back then for others mm -hmm. that experienced that. And what can I what can we do collectively? Even though we're a dysfunctional family to unite together to where we don't have to experience that anymore. And what you said earlier is love. Yeah. That would solve a lot of our problems is love. Where is love? Yeah. That's and that's the ultimate message. You know, it's it's I I, I believe that, you know, even my own my own life's purpose is to, to serve others. You know. It's all in us to serve. Sometimes we do it during catastrophes, like I mentioned, but that's the only time. Why not do it 
like even with these corporations and these businesses, why don't you serve out of love instead of profit? How would that help humanity? And if it's a win-win, your employees are the most valuable asset to your business. If it wasn't for your employees, you wouldn't fucking be here, to be honest. And if you look about look back in history about how the industry was that's how slave labor was created labor in the past labor became through the employees see it just took on a different form mm -hmm. and there's a few corporations that have done right by their employees they did have the mindset of the employees was a valuable asset. Very few of them out there now. It's that's that philosophy is so interesting. That's one of the things I've learned about you know in, in filmmaking. I, I sit here on these podcasts really ultimately because of my team. You know, like I can't make a movie by myself. Um, I am I am utterly reliant on the generosity and time and passion of all of these other people that are doing this with me, you know, mm -hmm. I just happen to be the director, you know? So like I, so that's, that's, you know, I guess I'm the front man, so to speak. And so I'm on these podcasts, but, but really at the end of the day, I'm nothing without those people, you know, I, I cannot make a movie without them. Like their passion, their artistry, their, their mastery of their craft, what they would each of them bring to the table of, of this, this tapestry that we're creating together, you know, like I, I'm nothing without them, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's been one of the more interesting things I've, I've learned as I've, I've pursued filmmaking is how integral a team is. And right. then at the end of the day, I mean, like, you know, there's this hierarchy, but at really no one's more important than anyone else because, you know, down to your guys that do the lighting and the electric and stuff like that. Like the movie is not going to happen without them. Here's another philosophy, Brian. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, it really does. And you have, it's like everybody uniting together, working together to make a masterpiece. And everyone has an important role. Mm -hmm. That's and, it. And every role is important. You know, whether you're the actor, the producer, the scripty, the the person that runs yep. the slate, you know, the person that's doing the electric, like every role is important because it takes what you're doing to make this movie happen. You mm -hmm. know? I mean, it really is. I mean, I mean, like pick pick Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg, pick anybody. They're nothing without their team. Nope. You know, it, it literally is like this giant collection of artists. You know, I look at I look at movie making like painting you know i've been talking to my girlfriend about this like i look at it you know like you're um how, how did i say it um you got the canvas and you got your paintbrush and everything is just yeah like like my my, my film ultimately is, is is my canvas and like what and you know my my the technical things are the paint that i'm using the 24 frames per second the 148 shutter speed the lens i'm using like you know, the, 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 the shot type I'm using, like these are the, this is my paint. This is what I'm using to, 
build, you know, build this, you know, or I even like the word, I've never used tapestry before today. So like, I like the tapestry type thing too. Like, you know, I, I look at making a movie very much like I would like a, a painting, you know, cause I mean, it, it's, it really is composition. You know, you have, you have directors. It's that, like colors and it, it colors with the, you know, audio and the, and, and the lighting and everything has its unique contribution. Oh yeah. Color, I mean, absolutely. Color, color is super important. I mean, you, you tell a story with color in a lot of ways, you know, when you have your visual subtext stuff, like, you know, a good, a good example, this is the movie contagion. You know, when you watch that movie contagion, anytime you see yellow in the film, uh, it's representative of the virus being present. And when you see blue in the film, it's, clean safe right so as you're watching the movie there are times where everything has kind of a yellow feverish hue to it and and that the visual subtext there is that the virus is present in this person or like you know the virus is there but then there are other times where the picture has a very kind of a bluish hue to it and that that represents like safety being you know free from the virus oh wow i did not even realize that i learned something new tonight yeah like like filmmaking it's not like it's intimidating because like when, when you really watch breakdowns of these movies like i was watching something um i never realized so like the there's i forget the name for it, but like the light the reflections in your eye in mm-hmm. film in, in art in general, it's it's representative of life. So, like, if you watch Peter Jackson's King Kong, when he dies, um, if you if you I never noticed this until I saw it pointed out in a YouTube film, that reflection in his eye disappears. Yeah, when he dies, and, and so like, like it's the like, same with us. Well, but I mean, like you know, if, if you know, if one of us dies, I mean, like the lights still going to reflect, but but it's that reflection in the eye is representative of life in, in, in art. So, so he actually like the, the, the fact that I, I don't know whose idea that was, but the fact that somebody even went so far as to something that most people probably don't even notice, have the reflection of light in the eye disappear to represent death. I mean, like there's so many little visual cues and, and subtext. And there's a reason why is to get your attention to recognize things that you wouldn't normally because you're so succumb to it's like being in a matrix and someone like there's like an invisible realm trying to get your attention with just like that message it's a little messages little signs to get your attention to help you along your path your journey yeah, it's really i mean like in blade, uh, blade runner the, the new blade runner was they did something similar with the color yellow like typically when the the machines were around that's the color yellow was there and it's really, it's really fascinating that these people can sit down and think, just think of this, like not only write a screenplay and a story, but then to say, okay, well, you know what? I want to throw in a, a yellow hue on everything and that's going to represent this. And then I want to throw a, a blue hue over everything and that's going to represent this. And I want it to be subtle or like M. Night Shyamalan. He always puts red in his movies to represent something ominous. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's really sad. Like, that, I find that very, it's, it's hard enough to write a story and a good one and, and make sure there's no plot holes. Do you have good characters and stuff? But then to start throwing in little things like that, that it's really intimidating and it's kind of scary. And I, and I'm hoping maybe just with practice, that'll become easier and I'll start to, you know, like it's, it's cause you also want to be original, you know, like I don't want to do things that are copying something somebody else has done. You know, I mean like I might say, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's being authentic. Exactly. Yeah. And having integrity in your art. Now that's not to say like, you know, there was a um, Stanley Kubrick did a movie in the fifties called paths of glory. 
And that of movie, what? It's called Paths of Glory. And it's Paths it's, of Paths of Glory. It's a World oh, War Paths War. of Glory. Okay. It's a World War One film, and it's very Kubrick. But what's really incredible about it? It is very. It's like forty years ahead of its time, just in the sound design. I mean, you actually hear bullets passing overhead and stuff like you never saw that in films back then. But there was this one shot in the film where they're in this really kind of this grand office of this this general guy, and there's a pillar kind of like off to the to the sort of um, this this line of the shot, like like right here. And I don't know how it was a dolly shot, but I kid you not, it, they 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 dollied the camera left. And the back, but it's like the background moved with it, and it was almost as if the the camera was attached to this pillar. And it was a really incredible when I saw it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing! Like, because I mean, you, you know, creating 3D space and depth and things like that are important when you're when you're building shots. I, it was masterful what they did. I, I don't know, I don't know who the cinematographer is in that movie, but that shot was super cool. So seeing something like that, like I might recreate that shot in another movie you know like like it more as an homage to this person but but i don't what i don't want to do is i don't want to like you know like in night Shyamalan uses you know red doorknobs we're like i don't want to take that that's that's Shyamalan's thing i want to have my own thing you know it's like you know when you look at quentin tarantino one of the things that's distinctive about his films is dialogue i i, I couldn't explain to somebody but his when you're watching a Tarantino film, the cadence and the tempo and the way people talk to each other, it's he. There's a sound to it. There's a tempo to it. There's a a rhythm to it that only he does. It's his style of writing. You know, that's his I style. learned from him. I actually took a film producing course. It's like taking a four year college degree, and I got my diplomas and everything from him. And there was another director that it was the Hollywood film um producing school and it was fascinating because there you know with him the dialogue and you know and whatnot and then the other director was like you know budgeting your film and how you can you know and whatnot so i got both aspects of that so i was very grateful to have that learning experience just by back then it was dvds like I had all the DVDs, I print you know, like the 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 binders that were like that thick, and it was like four years of college through them, mm-hmm. and you don't get that at regular colleges. They don't teach that stuff. Yeah, which is true. They're slowly, you know, like full sale university, and you know they're starting to and, and with technology today, and you know the the yeah. graphics. Do I work for the owner of Academy? Oh, that's my boyfriend. He's a private captain and worked for the owner of Full Sail University. Oh, cool. First of all, they're religious. Oh my god! I'm I'm like recording this live, babe. Hello. That's podcasting. Wholesale yeah. school. I, I, have a, I have a friend who went to Fort Sale. It's um, they. I think one of the things they do different is they're a little more practical in their in their curriculum. They give you basic. They just give you the basic, and that's like with me when I went to Connecticut. They give you the basic, so you get the horns on. But if you want to go further, <laughs> oh, a little bit more money. But if you have a natural 
under like knowing the basic but you have this like little knowing of wait a minute hold up a sec this feels like i could do this this, this, this. that's when you know there's a piece of you that's connected to doing that it's a piece to the puzzle of your journey that's the best way i could describe it yeah well you know it's I think the best school, ultimately, I mean, there's book learning and there's, there's real life. And I think the best school ultimately is just getting out there doing it and discovering your own style. Like I've, you know, as, as I'm making the movie I'm working on now, I mean, it's, we're coming up on a six month time to time window now. And like, it's, I'm still slowly discovering my style. Like, you know, early on, like the first day we were going to shoot, you know, the night before I was just, you know, furiously like storyboarding, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. And I got on set and I didn't use any of them. Like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I want to save time. I want to be efficient. I want to have the shot already ready to go. Okay. Put this here, put this here, put this here. Uh, what I found, and, and maybe if I, you know, when I end up in bigger productions, maybe the storyboarding will be more important. So I can't say that this is my style definitively, but what I have found is I, I walk into sets and I just, as I look around the room, I, I see the shot that I want. I don't need to storyboard it. Like as I'm, I, I can just kind of on the fly see. I want this person there. I want the camera here. You know, I, I like, and I really enjoy. I I don't like like head on shots. I like I like angles. I like to shoot like a forty five degree angle. I kind of like being off center a little bit for some reason. There's just something appealing about that to me. Um, so I. I I don't know. It's weird. Like, I mean, I literally, I spent several hours like storyboarding and then I got to set the first day and I, I didn't use any of them. I just found myself like, you know, I could just kind of see what I wanted, you know, or, 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 you know, there were times when somebody would be like, you know, Hey, you know, what would look really cool is if you put the camera here, this I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea. We'll, we'll try that shot. And so I don't know. I mean, maybe my style is being a little more traditional, but gorilla at the same time. Like, you know, I, I, I know, um, I know a filmmaker, like he, he actually will, storyboard on the side, the margins of his script, you know, as, as he's going through, he'll actually storyboard the story. So I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm going to be like a super storyboardy person. In, in, no, but you get the basic down of the idea that you have, but then when you get there, it can change and you see some, you get inspiration. You yeah. And what can you show too? Because I, I heard a story recently about a, a director who he had designed the shot to, you know, to flow a certain way. And then when he got to set, it was reversed and it, it completely threw him off. He overcame it, but it was completely reversed. What, what he had envisioned. Like, I mean, like literally, like if he took the picture and flipped it, that's, that's the way it was. And it completely threw him off. And, and, and I think I want to avoid that in the future. I just, I don't know. I just, I go in, I go into a room and I'm not saying I'm some master, you know, cinematographer or something, but I just, I, I have a vision for things and I go into the room or I go into wherever we're at and I could just kind of, I could just see it. It just it's just there. Like that's I, a I gift, Brian. That yeah. is a gift. You ha it's a very special gift. That's why you're so drawn. That's why your 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 true essence, your authentic, that soul that's in this machine of yours is so drawn to that film because it's that's when you really come to life. That's you living. When you get into that sphere, I would love to talk to you more about this because this has been entertaining and very insightful and just like a truly amazing interview with you. Thank Let's you. be honest, I've been having to have to go to the bathroom for over an hour now. That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs>
So I'm just like, I have to wrap this up. I'm sorry. My bladder is going to explode if I don't end this interview for once. This has never happened to me. No, it's totally okay. I, I appreciate you having me on. I really do. It's been awesome. But it, it has. And, you know, it. I I put everybody's, you know, your podcast so everybody can have access to, you know, to check you out. Yeah, especially if you have a, you know, a passion or, you know, you're curious about filmmaking and, and whatnot. Uh, go check Brian's podcast out. It, it's pretty amazing in itself. And I really enjoyed this moment with you. Thank you. Same. Likewise, it's been great. Thank you for having me on. And uh, if you ever want to talk on, you know, just privately on certain things that you question based on what I shared during this interview, just reach out to me and I'll be more than happy to, you know, to have that kind of conversation with you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you, Brian. I wish you the best of success in your next project. Thanks, Kim. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. I did not imagine ever having a two hour interview with somebody, but this is the first and yeah, I really have to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to keep this short and you never know who I'm going to get on this show. So stay tuned to wake up with Casey. Mm -hmm.